Engaging Leader Podcast, episode 115, The Four Lenses of Innovation, Powering Your Team's Creative Thinking, featuring Rowan Gibson. Leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. You and everyone on your team has an inner innovator, a creative potential inside that can be unleashed and harnessed. With the right tools and a little practice, you and your team can improve your creative thinking skills. What's more, you can build an embedded capability for innovation that engages everyone at your organization and leads to game-changing opportunities. Our guest today is Rowan Gibson, one of the world's foremost thought leaders on business innovation. He is the internationally best-selling author of three books on business strategy and innovation, Rethinking the Future, Innovation to the Core, and his newest book, The Four Lenses of Innovation, a power tool for creative thinking. Rowan Gibson, welcome to Engaging Leader. Hi, Jesse. Great to be with you. Rowan, your new book is about generating insights and then producing breakthrough innovations in that order. Why are insights the stepping stones for creativity? I think it's important, Jesse, to clear up you know, one thing about insights, and that is that there, there are kind of two camps out in the world. There's one camp, which is, I guess, you know, the cognitive scientists. Um, they're doing a lot of these studies in universities around, you know, insights. And they kind of believe that the insight is that is that eureka moment, you know, the moment you get the big answer. And then there's another crowd, which is, you know, the, the, um, yeah, the, the innovation uh, directors and consultants of, of the world. There are um, big packaged goods companies looking for insights, let's say P&G and others, that then use those insights to build big, big ideas. And the question is, you know, what what is an insight then? Is it the idea or is it the, is it something that leads to an idea? So I wanted to kind of clear that up in the book. And so you ended up believing that insights are the stepping stones. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, with all the studies that I've done of innovation, and uh, I've looked at probably two or 300 cases of successful business innovation, um, what I've found is that um, you never really see somebody coming up with a breakthrough idea just kind of grabbed out of the air. There's, it's always preceded by one or two very important new, I, I call it an insight, a new understanding. You know, it's kind of new and penetrating understanding about a situation or a problem. Um, or as I define it in the book, it's something you previously didn't know or didn't yet think about that has the power to, to surprise you and inspire you. So you basically get this new understanding, which may be a, a kind of almost like a brilliant flash or, you know, LV insight. Uh, literally seeing into a, a situation or problem. And, it, and it's that, that new understanding that creates the basis or the raw material for building a big idea. Yeah, so the insight is sort of the hmm moment, and then it, uh, a few of those together lead to the eureka, the thing that's actually going to be the game changer. Yeah, let me give you an example. Do you remember, uh, you think about the, the Dyson vacuum cleaner, you know, the, the, bagless, the bagless vacuum cleaner. Mm-hmm. So you sort of say to yourself, how on earth did uh, James Dyson just sort of come up with that? Was he, did he wake up one morning and say, hey, let's make a vacuum cleaner without a bag? Uh, and the answer is no. Um, he was, in fact, looking to try to improve um, his vacuum cleaner. He, he's an inventor and a bit of a boffin anyway, and he was just one of those things he was thinking about. But he happened to visit um, a, a sawmill. So he was uh, doing some work around the house or whatever, went to this sawmill, 
And he noticed there that, that um, at the sawmill, they were using these large centripetal separators, or they're called industrial cyclones, uh, to take the sawdust out of the air. So he said to himself, wow, that looks like a pretty uh, effective way to, um, to collect dirt and dust. So there's the insight, right? Industrial cyclone. That's, that's an interesting way of doing this. They're not using a giant bag. <laughs> you know, they're using a, this, this other thing. So his insight was that. And then the idea was, okay, what if I were to scale that down, and, uh, you know, an industrial cyclone and put it on a vacuum cleaner? So you see that, first of all, you get the insight. Wow, that's an interesting way to collect dirt and dust. And then the idea is, okay, what if I took that and scaled it down and put it on a domestic vacuum cleaner? So, you know, the first you get the insight and that becomes the stepping stone to the big idea. Hmm. In the book, The Four Lenses of Innovation, these four lenses provide a systematic methodology for generating and using these insights to, to create innovations. The first lens is challenging orthodoxies. Now, throughout history, mediocre leaders have basically squashed that, that kind of rocking the boat. How does a, a great leader encourage the team to challenge orthodoxies? I think it's very, very important, as you say, that, that that comes from the leader, you know, because if you encourage the rest of the company to challenge orthodoxies, but, you know, the leadership team squashes those those insights, then, you know, the company's never going to be able to, to stretch itself into these new, exciting uh, growth opportunities. And, and if we look at some of the, the, you know, the most successful innovations of our times, really at the, at the heart of those innovations, we'll find this principle of, of challenging conventional wisdom challenging assumptions about, you know, the way things should be done. I mean, I think, take somebody like Elon Musk, you know, with the Tesla, uh, not just Tesla, but Tesla, SpaceX, PayPal, SolarCity, you know, all of, all of these, um, these great, you know, innovations have been based on this principle. So it's kind of looking at the world from a contrarian stance, you know, sort of saying, well, okay, everybody's zigging. What if we zag? <laughs> you know, what if it, yeah, what if there's another way of doing things? And uh, so, yeah, you're right. If that starts at the top, that's brilliant because, you know, corporate culture tends to be the length and shadow of, of the leader or the leadership team. So I think, it, you know, it takes a, a special kind of mindset, you know, in, in terms of leadership to be able to say, you know what, uh, we've been very successful. We are very successful, but this is not the only way of doing things. And if we go through life with these kind of blinkers on, um, thinking that this is the only way, you know, there's a one law of the universe that says this is the way to do business in this industry. Uh, we will be blind to anything that lays outside of that kind of myopic field of vision, that very narrow field of vision. So I think, you know, for leaders to encourage that, that's a great thing right across the organization. Please challenge, challenge, challenge. I mean, if, if you're running a big industrial organization or a power company, you don't want somebody sitting at the nuclear power station challenging orthodox, you know, let's say challenging standard operating procedures on the spot. <laughs> yeah. However, what you what you could uh, encourage is people to think different and at least to suggest different ways of doing things that will then be considered by by the leadership. Yeah, there's a time and place for everything. I mean, you just reminded me of my uh, younger son who constantly challenges from a, uh, he's got more of an engineering mind. And so almost everything that you ask him to do, he's going to challenge it. And it's just, you just want to wring his neck sometimes because, okay, I'm, I'm happy that you're creative and thinking creatively, but not right now. Yeah, oh, I get and, that. Uh, it's difficult to be the leader and to not get, uh, I guess, have the, have the wrong attitude when you, when you experience that kind of contrarian attitude. Yeah, that's the thing. It's all about balance, really, you know, because on the one hand, we, we want continuity. 
But on the other hand, we want change. So how do you have con how do you get continuity and change out of the same people? You know, and that, so that re it really is a, you know leadership is an art, and particularly now with the speed of change around us. You know, if you think about all of the disruptive things that are going on, all the trends. Um, if you think about uh, major changes really taking place in industries everywhere, um, we, you know, to just to, to hope that we're going to get continuity forever is just kind of uh, hoping against hope. You know, it's, that's not the way things work anymore. So we, we want to be able to, to to produce this kind of continuity and quality and service and all those things that the, the company is hopefully, uh, you know, is uh, principles on which it stands. Uh, however, we need to be constantly taking a part of our profits and reinvesting those profits in creating the next curve, you know, the, whatever's next for the company. Mm -hmm. Now, the second lens of innovation is harnessing trends. I'm guessing most people think that boils down to luck or maybe innate genius. How do you spot a true trend at the right time in order to ride a new wave? Well, I think most of the information we need about trends is already in the public domain. You know, it's already out there. And the question is, uh, you know, are, are, do we have our eyes open uh, and are we and our ears open and are we really paying attention to the trends? I mean, a lot of times I think companies see what's changing, but they choose to ignore it, you know, because it's unpleasant and it's going to upset their, their current business model. Um, so, you know, a lot of these changes, these trends are almost like tides of history. You know, you, you, you can't stop them. You can go down on the beach like King Canute, you know, and sort of hold out your hands, but you're never going to stop these giant waves of change. It's almost like going back a like hundred years or so and saying, well, let, you know, let's, let's hold on to gaslighting, you know, because <laughs> let's, try to, let's try to resist the electric light and so on. I mean, there are things that are just going to happen, but, but companies actually do tend to, to ignore things that, that are, you know, threatening to their existing business model. And that's why they're very, very often disrupted by newcomers, you know, people that come into an industry without any preconceptions. They don't have an existing business model that they're trying to protect or defend. So um, they're open to completely new ways of doing things. So that goes back to that first lens of challenging orthodoxy. But it's being able to say, okay, here's a trend. This is going to be important in the future. Let's ride that trend. You know, let's, let's get up there on the surfboard and ride that wave um, onto success and, uh, you know, a lot of companies wake up one day and find that the, the company is uh, awash, you know, with the tsunami that's just, uh, that's just uh, overthrown them. And, uh, and it's too late at that moment to kind of do anything about it. Much better to be riding on top of that tsunami than to be covered over by it. Absolutely. But, it, but, but even that's pretty frightening. I mean, if you're, if you're surfing a tsunami, <laughs> just imagine that, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty, pretty frightening. But still, you know, you're right. I'd rather be on top of it than underneath it. And that, that's the issue here is that you, it does take a certain level of risk-taking, uh, you know, and belief in where things are going and uh, to sort of hitch your wagon to that thing and, and, uh, and follow it. And, and, uh, but if you don't, I mean, that's the point. If you miss those trends, it's like if you go back and think about Amazon and Walmart, you know, Amazon grabbed that opportunity and Walmart's been trying to catch up ever since. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of things are just gone. I mean, you grabbed it and it's, that's it. So either you buy that company uh, or, you know, you have to almost dismantle your entire business model in order to do what they do, which is rather difficult. So it's not so much a magic step of capturing a trend that nobody else is, is seeing or one that's really difficult to see. It, it basically comes down to noticing what other people are ignoring and uh, getting some new blood in from time to time that helps you notice those things and just exposing reality, paying attention to, to uh, what's, 
what's real instead of uh, sticking your head in the, the sand. Absolutely. But I think a lot of companies, uh, you know, their, their focus is mostly inward. You know, it's an internal <laughs> focus. Isn't it true, you know, on management issues and, and just keeping things rolling along versus external, you know, so all the eyeballs are looking inward rather than outward. And uh, we need those eyeballs. And I, it was quite, quite nice. You just said, bring some fresh blood in. That's really important. People who are new to the industry, you know, new to the company, uh, particularly young people who have one foot in the future, people who kind of have this, just this feeling for where things are going. And, uh, but, but, so that's part of it is bringing that, you know, bringing that kind of fresh blood into the firm. But, but as a leader, you know, you need to be, you need to kind of be um, immersed in what's happening. You know, you need to be out there and viscerally kind of experiencing these things as well and visiting places where change is happening, uh, whether that's Silicon Valley or university campuses or whatever else, but actually just, just making sure that you're connected uh, and, and making sure too that the kind of the outer edges of the company are porous enough to sort of let in let in though you know has kind of you have sensors to kind of um to, to understand what's going on whether that's tech scouts or it's just like listening to the front lines of your organization but you have you have to really i mean more than ever before you have to be able to not just keep up with trends but like stay ahead you know to be able to one step or two steps ahead of the competition mm-hmm. now lens number three is leveraging resources Typically, a company thinks of itself as a provider of products or services for specific markets. What do you recommend instead, Rowan? Well, you know, the way we usually look at a company is as a set of business units, you know, or an organization chart at silos, and these are, this is what we do, and these are the, the businesses we're in, and kind of that's it. Uh, where this third lens sort of encourages, to look, encourages us to look at a company as a portfolio of core competencies and strategic assets. In other words, things that we know how to do uniquely well and things that we own. So th this might be proprietary data, it might be the brand, it might be you know whatever it is that we own, our assets. Um, it could even be manufacturing plants and, and say to ourselves, how could we redeploy or repurpose, uh, recombine those, uh, those resources in order to stretch into new growth opportunities. So if you think about a company, I mean, go back and think about Disney, which starts as a little tiny animation studio, you know, a couple of brothers, and grows into this uh, giant um, entertainment empire around the world. Um, the only way you do that is by stretching into these new opportunities. So Disney went from animation, you know, movies, and then live action, and television, and then theme parks, and cruises, and all the merchandising, and the games, and you know all of that stuff. I mean, one of the fastest growing business units today inside Disney is a thing in China called Disney English, which is actually an English language school for children, okay. Chinese kids that want to learn English, but using the Disney characters and their whole storytelling competencies. Um, to to you know to teach them English. So again, so here we are, a company that's using its resources to be able to kind of stretch into these these new growth opportunities. And you'll find exactly the same story if you look at you know Virgin Group, which went from one record store in London to like four hundred companies in all kinds of industries. Um, ESPN, same basic story. Uh, what else have we got? Google. You know there are, there are a lot of big companies out there today that have been able to, to, to really kind of stretch and leverage those resources into these new growth opportunities. And it's about looking at, looking at your company and looking at the world that way. So leveraging resources means that you, you understand your own skills and people and competencies and assets, 
and uh, being creative about repurposing, redeploying, or recombining to bring those to bear on a given issue, as opposed to thinking of us, oh, we're Disney, we make cartoons. That's, that's, that's what we do. Uh, instead, you think of yourself as, what are all the things that we're good at? What can we bring to bear? Yeah, I mean, Walt Disney, as a leader, could have said, no, we're not making live action. No, 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 we're not making documentaries. No, that, that doesn't fit with, no, listen, we're a cartoon company. You know, we're, because uh, yeah, this guy was an animator. You know, that's how he started, cartoonist and animator. He could have said, no, this is what we're about. Stick to the knitting. But Disney was, was rather brilliant um, as a leader and a risk taker, you know, very courageous man and, and able to kind of spot these opportunities and, and basically say, what have we got here that we could, we could, you know, stretch into these new opportunities? But one thing I will add to that is that we've talked so far about using a company's own resources. But part of this lens has to do with um, figuring out, you know, who else has resources out in the world that would be useful if we added them to our own business model. So that's sometimes about, you know, buying or acquiring a, a company. Sometimes it's about partnering. Um, but it, it's really about saying that the whole world is a portfolio of resources. You know, there are assets out there. There are competencies out there that we don't have. What if we added them to, to, to our own business model? So going back to Disney, one of the things they've done brilliantly well is to, let's say, bring in Pixar because they, they needed that, uh, that, that, that set of skills that Pixar brings. Um, they brought in, you know, the Muppets now. They've got Marvel superheroes. They've got Star Wars. Why did they do that? It's because Disney lives and breathes on characters and on stories. And so if you think about it, those, those old Disney characters, you know, Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck, they're well over 100 years old now, <laughs> you know, or at least getting, getting that old. And so, you know, how, how long can Disney continue to draw, you know, to take today's kids um, to the theme parks and the movies or whatever using the same old characters? So what they need is new characters and new stories. So if you think about it, Star Wars and Marvel and Muppets, you know, and Pixar gives them not just kind of capabilities, but also um, a whole bunch of new characters and stories. Those are assets which they can then use to build uh, rides at the theme parks and, and you know, uh, merchandising and books and comics and TV shows and whatever else. That's, that's the way it works. I can see why you use the metaphor of lens. That's definitely a different way of looking at the world. Yeah, and that's the point, is learning to look at the world through these lenses. Because, you know, the, the basis for the, for the four lenses um, is, is a lot of research into hundreds of cases of innovation that really show that there is a common pattern to innovation. There's a way that innovators tend to think. You know, because often you read about these stories of innovation, but the, the authors of those, those articles and those books rarely go back and ask themselves, what were the innovators actually thinking? You know, how did they get to those discoveries? And so the four lenses came out of looking at all of those cases, really, even, you know, right back to the beginning of time, you know, the, the invention of the wheel, you know, and cuneiform writing. And I did a lot of historical research. And every time again, you'll find it's one of those lenses or, or more than one lens involved in coming up with a breakthrough. That's amazing. Well, the last of the four lenses is understanding needs. Now, whether it's a frustration or an unmet need, Innovators notice and solve problems that the rest of the world ignores. How do great leaders teach that skill to their team? I think leaders need to um, periodically become the customer. You know, it's, it's like, you know, Richard Branson flies his own airline and he'll, he'll spot things that, that irritate him or frustrate him or whatever. And um, they become insights which then, uh, uh, you know, push back into the organization where people are asked to look for solutions and they come up with innovative solutions. So, you know, I think it's, it's very helpful for leaders to get out of the ivory tower, 
every now and again and become your own customer. You know, go in and use your own bank, you know, buy, buy your own product or use your own service or whatever. And just remember, I mean, I know I know a CEO that, you know, he, he's the leader of a big conglomerate. And so this, this conglomerate has supermarkets and cinemas or whatever. And he literally goes and pushes uh, shopping trolleys around in the, in the supermarket, you know, or, or serves tickets and things in the, in the cinema or popcorn just to be there and figure out what it's like to be a customer. So I think that, that in itself is really good. And, of course, um, there are lots of leaders across an organization. So one of the things a leader can do is create, you know, a lot of people who are going out and interacting very often with customers. That's something that I uh, help to institutionalize at a big chocolate uh, company, one of the world's biggest chocolate firms. It's like going out and actually sitting with customers in their homes and, and talking with them and watching the way they eat and do things uh, in order to get new insights. I think you were the first person that I saw use the term empathy in relation to innovation. I never thought of empathy as something that was important when it came to innovation. Yeah, I think that's what's missing, actually, from so many products and services is we're not, we're not empathizing with the customer. You know, we, we do our thing, we make a product, we make a service, and we hopefully make some money at it, but we're not thinking about the pain points. You know, what is it, that's, what is it that we're doing every day that's absurd from the point of view of the customer? <laughs> You know, so that's the point. Looking through those lenses means getting into the customer's shoes or into the customer's skin and looking back at your, your business model, your product, your service, whatever, from the customer's perspective and saying, what's wrong with it? What's wrong with this thing from the customer's perspective? And how do we put that right? You know, by designing solutions from uh, the customer backwards. In fact, there's a whole section in the book called What's Wrong With It? So, for example, if you think about um, carbonated soda, you know, potato chips, ice cream, chocolate, beer. We all love those things, but what's wrong with them? Well, the, the soda, the chips, the ice cream, the chocolate, and the beer, they all make us fat, right? And so what those, those manufacturers were able to do was to come up with, you know, diet soda and low-fat chips and low-fat ice cream, low-fat chocolate, light beer. The, the idea there is how do we take the negative out of the equation so you can still enjoy those products without, you know, getting fat? Same is true of, uh, of coffee. You know, we love coffee, but I might have hypertension, so uh, I can't drink it uh, because it's going to make me shake. So that's why we came up with decaffeinated coffee. And so if you think about all, all of these products and services, they all have kind of pain points. Um, I think famously in quite recently, Nest Labs, you know, came up with these smart thermostats that learn our behaviors and don't need to be programmed. I mean, have you ever tried to program a thermostat? <laughs> it's yes. impossible. I mean, it's impossible. I used to have to ask the neighbor to come in every six months and reprogram. <laughs> I just couldn't understand it. You know, it was just non, non-understandable. So, so, that's, so Nest kind of says, okay, and they actually set out to do this. What are the products around the home that are just so frustrating and difficult, you know, that we could then redesign and make beautiful and make simple? and make intuitive. Um, I, I believe, by the way, this week or next, they're, they're going to launch a new product, so that's quite exciting. But so far, it's been thermostats, smoke detectors in the home. Um, so these smoke detectors, you know, they, you know, sometimes you're in the kitchen, right, and you, you're doing a piece of toast, and some smoke comes out of the toaster and sets off all the fire alarms in your, in your home. Well, it's a false alarm. Mm-hmm. So what they do with this uh, Nest uh, smoke detector, you just wave at it. You know, false alarm, and, and it turns itself off. You know, I mean, that's just so intuitive. That's you know, so so that's the principle behind this lens. It's really kind of um, at least part of it is is looking at products and services, trying to figure out where the pain points are, and then you know, how do we solve those problems and frustrations in ways that will make life easier, more convenient, more enjoyable for the consumer or the customer. 
We're talking to Rowan Gibson about his new book, The Four Lenses of Innovation, a power tool for creative thinking. And we've looked at the four lenses being challenging orthodoxies, harnessing trends, leveraging resources, and understanding needs. Rowan, let's talk about working with all four of these lenses in real life. Can you tell us about a scenario where a company would actually put these four lenses to work? Absolutely. So I do this all the time with companies all around the world. You know, I've been to 61 countries, I think, in the last five or six years and companies of every every kind of industry. And what we do uh, and languages, by the way, which is quite interesting sometimes using the four lenses in China or Russia or wherever else. But what we do is we we take a group of people and we split them up into smaller teams. So you'll actually have an orthodoxies team, a trends team, a resources team and a customer needs team or, or, or several teams on each lens. And what we then do is I, I'll give them a particular set of tools and exercises to stretch their thinking along new lines by looking through those lenses. So what are the industry orthodoxies that deserve to be challenged or the company orthodoxies? What are the trends out there that we really should be paying attention to and bringing into our, our business model in order to sort of uh, create change? You know, could, could we use certain trends to disrupt or revolutionize our industry before somebody else does? Um, then there's a group, of course, looking at the resources. What are our core competences? What are our assets? And what are the resources that lay outside of this organization across our value chain or beyond that we could maybe bring into our business model um, in order to, to stretch and grow? Uh, and then finally, this, these, these te- this team or these teams on customer needs that are really trying to figure out where are the pain points across the entire customer experience? Um, you know, what, what are the things that really don't make sense? What's wrong with it? And how do we put it right? So having done that, having spent time, and that time could be, I mean, it could be a, a few months, it could be a few weeks, it could be a few days, it could be a few hours. But the point is to get people thinking uh, or using or looking through these lenses in order to generate the new insights that will become the raw material for big ideas. So we do that first, we generate insights, and then what we do is actually crash those insights together, kind of a creative chemistry. Because what you find with innovation is it, it tends to be, uh, you know, all about joining the dots and, and uh, bringing things together. So the greatest innovations, the real game changers, tend to be born at the intersection points between those four lenses. So it's about, you know, an orthodoxy or two, a trend or two, a customer need or two, you know, and our resource. So it's bringing together those insights from the lenses. So if I take someone like Apple, if you look at something like um, the iMac or the iPhone or the iPod, or any of those great innovations, including the Apple stores, you'll say, you know what, in some respects, they were challenging orthodoxies, they were harnessing trends, they were leveraging their resources and other people's resources in new ways, and they were understanding needs we didn't even know we had. (laughs) So it's a combination of those four lenses that lead to these breakthroughs. Rowan, in addition to writing and speaking about innovation, you've alluded to the fact that you're a consultant to some of the world's largest companies, for example, Apple and Coca-Cola and Procter & Gamble, as well as uh, companies of all sizes. What's a typical consulting engagement like? Yeah, I think there are a couple of things here. Number one, you know, the real challenge is how do we embed innovation as a deep capability, as something that's sustainable? something that uh, is driven by the leadership team at the top of the company or across the company, something that's embedded in our, our management systems and processes and tools and uh, in, the, in the engagement of our people around the world and, and the whole culture and the values of the firm. So that's the big story. And that's what I get involved in mostly is, is actually helping a company to embed innovation as an enterprise capability. 
you know, analogous to what we did with, with quality or customer service or uh, Lean Six Sigma or supply chain or in some cases safety or, or sustainability, how do we embed innovation so that it becomes sustainable as a, as a system inside the firm? So that's the, the you know, most of the, the consulting uh, engagements are, are focused on that. Um, and then there are companies that will say, you know what, we just want to kind of get together around an opportunity that we've identified and we want to use the four lenses to generate new insights and ideas. So that's something else that I do. And often those two things then come together. So part of building this whole system for innovation is, of course, um, identifying some what I call aiming points for innovation uh, around our innovation strategy. And then, you know, systematically using the four lenses as a power tool to generate new insights and breakthrough ideas around those aiming points, those strategic aiming points. So it's kind of all of that, all of that put together. So in the first scenario, you're working with the leadership of a company to, on a systematic basis, embed innovation as a firm-wide capability. In the second scenario, it's more of a specific, maybe like an innovation retreat or uh, event where there's a specific need and you're maybe actually facilitating a process specific to that need. Yeah, or, or it's kind of the kickoff for all of that. So quite often I'll have maybe the top 100 or top 200 leaders of a firm and they'll come together for, for two days. I mean, and they want to know, first of all, so why is innovation so important? How do we drive innovation? So then I'll talk about the lenses as a tool for that. But then how do we embed it as a, as a capability so that it's sustainable across the firm? And so that we, you know, we discussed that as well. But we may use that occasion to actually kick the tires of the four lenses so that those leaders get a chance to actually generate new insights and ideas for growing the company in the future. So in that scenario, the work may not be focused around a particular opportunity. It may be more blue sky. You know, so we've, we've come this far, we've been incredibly successful, but what next? So let's use these two days to generate the what next for the future of the company. So it's basically all of that, really. Any, anywhere where we feel, I mean, innovation can be applied to anything. It, it may be uh, developing a new product or service or figuring out some new strategic growth opportunities for the future. But it may also be how do we save money around a particular process or how do we uh, avoid. I had one company that was saying, you know, we, we, we're, we have so much waste coming out of our manufacturing process. Uh, we don't know what to do with it. So their, their challenge was how do we reduce waste going to the landfills? I said, you know what? I think that's the wrong challenge. I think we should be saying how do we turn waste into value? And so what we did was spend uh, two or three days actually using the four lenses to generate new ideas for, for, for repurposing the waste. And uh, I think within been tw I think 12 to, to 18 months, they had not only reduced all the waste going to the landfill, but they'd come up with some incredible new, new uses for their, their waste that actually turned it into value and turned it into money. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Well, you speak and consult with organizations of all sizes and shapes in every industry all over the world. How can people find out more about you and your work, Rowan? I think the simplest is to go to the website, which is uh, www.rowangibson.com. Follow me on Twitter. But I think, you know, the website basically contains all the information about the speeches, the masterclasses, the consulting, and, and, uh, and the four lenses itself. You can actually download a, uh, a free sample chapter of the book or just order the book from the website. So that's probably the best resource for, for finding out more. Our guest has been Rowan Gibson, author of the book, The Four Lenses of Innovation, A Power Tool for Creative Thinking. Rowan, thanks for joining us on Engaging Leader. It's been a real pleasure, Jesse. Thank you. All right, Engagers. Rather than simply hoping for a eureka moment, you and your team can discover insights and create breakthrough ideas 
by systematically looking through these four innovation lenses. What's more, you can engage people all across your organization and embed an enterprise-wide capability for innovation. Of course, Rowan Gibson and I only scratched the surface of the four lenses, so I encourage you to get your hands on the book today. Now, although I'm a huge Kindle fan, I strongly recommend the print version of this book due to its graphical layout. The graphics are highly engaging, but you won't get the full benefit from the Kindle version, so both Rowan and I recommend the print version. Now, in our show notes for this episode, we'll include links to rowangibson.com, also to his book on Amazon, and to Rowan's Twitter profile. And we'll also include links to three previous interviews we've had about innovation. Engaging Leader episode 94 was about collective genius, the art and practice of leading innovation, featuring Greg Brando. Episode 61, The Myths of Creativity, The Truth About How Innovative Leaders Generate Great Ideas, featuring David Burkus. And episode 40, Five Keys to Leading Innovation, featuring Todd Henry. You can find those links at our show notes for this episode, which you can find at engagingleader.com forward slash 115 as in episode 115. This is a production of Aspendale Communications a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, J.J. Leahy, our video and web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of each opportunity to engage the people we care about.